to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 136 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm back here with my good friend, David Dangvu. What's up, man? Thanks for having me again, my man. Well, so the reason why I want to have you back on is a lot of people have been asking about your other streams of passive income, like your Airbnb business and everything else you're working on. But to be honest, it's actually kind of just fun hanging out with you. And it gives me an excuse to sit down and talk business with you for an hour, because even though we hang out all the time, we're, we're, we're like, we never talk about business ever. <laughs> it's true, man. It's true. We hang out. We've been going fishing, uh, going all over Chiang Mai. I mean, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun here, man. Yeah. So we'll definitely talk about that because that was a crazy, <laughs> epic experience. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually curious. So like, how many people actually ask you about, you know, ask you to be on their podcast? And what do you normally say to them? Uh, geez, quite, quite a bit uh, to the point where like, it's almost like solicitation in a way. And I get like immune to everyone asking me and I feel really, really bad, honestly. Um, but, uh, for, I mean, you know, I've only been on maybe I think four or five podcasts, including yours. Um, at first, you know, I used to do a lot of homework and, you know, interview the podcaster and see how big their audience is. I just want to make sure it's worth my time, you know, but ever since, um, you know, kind of getting on the online scene, um, there's been so many people that ask me and I really don't even know how to begin as far as like, should I jump on that podcast? Should I not? Is it worth my time? Or, you know, more so I just want to help that person, you know? So I, I really don't, don't have an answer. I don't know. <laughs> this is all new to me. Well, so in, in my scenario, I get a ton of requests to be on their podcast as well, or people asking me to be, to come on this show. And in general, what I do is if it's through email and it's, un- and it's unsolicited, so I, I don't know who they are, never heard of them. Mm. I almost always just, just delete it because it's usually, usually someone who's taking some course online that's like, this is what you want to do. You want to, you know, you want to scr- have your VA in the Philippines scrape the 200 most listened podcasts, mm. you know, contact them on their page. And then, so it's not even them emailing me. It's like, right, you know, it's spammy. Some, yeah. yeah. And it's always very spammy. Uh, unfortunately, there's some courses out there that that's what they teach. And huh. maybe it used to work back in the day when people weren't as busy or there weren't as many podcasts. But I think now it's really hard to get someone with an established audience or with, you know, that that's busy to be able to go on a podcast. There's so many of them. All right. You know, I think I've gotten maybe five or maybe six podcast requests just here in Chiang Mai because all these people find out that I'm here in Chiang Mai. So yeah, I got to go through the process of just actually doing my homework and seeing if it's, yeah. it's if it's worth it, you know? Well, I, I think part of it is also, do you, I don't want to say, do you want to hang out with them and talk to them for an hour? But if it's someone that you've never met in person, you might not want to like spend an hour talking to them, especially if their podcast is brand new and they haven't even launched it yet, because there's a very good chance. I, I would say this st- the statistic is almost 50% or more wow. that people actually never even launch. They'll record five or 10 episodes and they'll never release them because either they get cold feet to release it or it, you know, it's, they, they, I don't know, they chase the next the object they're like oh i don't really want to do this right so my criteria if i'm gonna go on someone else's show is they have to number one be launched already and i normally like to see about 
25 episodes. Okay. Because if someone can get over 25, they're probably committed for a long time. It shows that they're serious. Yeah. Exactly. I remember, yeah. I remember when I was looking at yours, I know you, and I, when you first initially contacted me, I put you out for a couple months, but when I finally like looked at Travel Like a Boss, I remember you had like like 70 or something episodes already and you were already well established. I'm like, this guy's a serious podcaster. He's the real deal. So that's why I was like, yeah, let's, let's get on your podcast. You know? So yeah. Totally. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think the other part of it is like if I meet someone in person and even though they're a friend, I think they, they still have to launch it. But then True. the requirement yeah. for like, is this when my time goes down a lot? Because a lot of times, you know, I just want to like hang out with them or help them out. But online, if I, if I, especially if I had to schedule like a time zone because I'm in Thailand and they're back somewhere else, it's like, it, it has to be some, something I know is going to reach a lot of people. It's yeah. not worth it. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But do, do you think, I mean, do you think a lot of it is just because we're friends that you're like, oh yeah, okay, we'll do it? Uh, no, man, I enjoyed being on your podcast. Yeah. I remember the first the first one we had, it was really, really cool. It was an awesome experience. I uh, felt like we got to know each other uh, a lot more. And then uh, what's cool is we finally met after that and we became friends. So yeah, yes and no. <laughs> being friends definitely helps. But anytime you want me on the podcast, I'm, 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 always, I'm probably always going to say yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. So this is actually David's third time on the podcast. Yeah, uh, Anthony can... Uh, put the sh- in the show notes this is episode 136 of the other two but the first one when it's when we talked about your eBay course yep. and I was trying to figure out if you're legit or not yeah I remember that <laughs> the second one was when we were fishing in Colanta <laughs> that was a cool podcast and we were talking about freedom and how having passive income just frees up your time to be able to do things you like doing absolutely yeah so then this third one I think it's going to be more about other streams of income and kind of leveling up uh and I, and I think it's so cool that you, the way you do things are very different than other people, but it also shows that pretty much everything, everything works. Like everyone's personality is different and everyone's like kind of system is different. So for you, for example, you don't even have a website really, right? Like you don't like, do you own nope, like your name I'm, or anything? I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> it's uh, one of, one of my, uh, things on my to-do list and there's a project that I've been uh, working towards but uh, it'll, it'll be done within a couple months which is crazy because I think you're pretty well known I mean you know, there's like tens of thousands of people online they're like oh yeah I wanna, I've learned from David Wu right. I've taken his course and the fact that you are you know an internet marketer but you don't even have a website <laughs> to me is insane I don't have like a personal branding <laughs> website but I do have a website for one of my courses yes <laughs> so <laughs> so yes and no <laughs> I think I think that's actually really cool you know because uh, like for me for example a lot of people ask you know like how many visitors I get a month on my blog or what my you know uh, like my my marketing tactics are and then when I ever tell them like oh I don't know let me look it up they all they're all so surprised they're like how do you not freaking know this stuff like shouldn't you be checking this daily right and I think we all have just different methods, right? Yeah, there's so many ways. I mean, there's a thousand ways to do different things, you know? So, um, you know, having a website is is great. Uh, it's something that I definitely want to do because it kind of established more uh, credibility and more authority, um, especially with your online presence. And uh, But for me, it's just something that I just never, like, you know wasn't a huge priority for me at first. It was just basically executing and finding business models that make money and just making money from, you know? I like it. Uh, so one of your new projects is actually your YouTube channel. So, uh, what's the URL for that? Do you know? It's, uh, j- it's just uh, David Dang Vu, just my first, middle, and last name. Okay. I have my, it's uh, youtube.com slash, I got my own unique user Ooh, nice. uh, I, your URL now with YouTube was pretty cool. I got approved for it. But yeah, it's just David Dang Vu. I think mine is actually John, uh, youtube.com slash JohnnyFD. Yep. Uh, I, I, you know, I haven't looked, so I, I don't know if that's true, <laughs> but maybe someone can look and tell me. <laughs> cool. But 
what made you start your your YouTube channel? Uh, I was inspired by uh, a gentleman. I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure a lot of your audience knows uh, Casey Neistat. I was, uh, my video editor, actually, uh, Richard, I hired him to help me edit some of my Udemy courses and videos. And uh, he turned me on to uh, watching this guy named Casey Neistat who has his uh, daily vlog. I didn't even know what that, that was. And he showed him a couple of his videos and I was I found it so intriguing. I remember watching one of Casey's videos where he was sharing his story on why he started to make films, uh, basically documenting his life and when he had a son. And just watching that story really inspired me like, man, you know, I, I, I do a lot of cool shit and I'm getting older and I'm, you know, my memory is not as, as sharp as what it was before. And I would like to document a lot of the cool stuff that I do that way, 5, 10, 17, 20 years later, I can rewatch them or just share them with friends and family and my future children. You know, so that's, that's, that's the, cool. main, the main purpose is just for my personal <laughs> reasons. Definitely not for money. <laughs> when the money comes, cool. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hide from it, but it, 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 just for personal reasons. Because you've spent a lot of money so far, like in video editing and also the equipment. So can we, can we talk about what equipment you use? How much, how much have you spent on that? And then how much are you spending? How, how much have you spent on editing so far? So, man, I don't have a total number. We could probably tally it up right now. So, as far as camera gear, um, I got the Sony G7X. I think that was like about 600 bucks. Uh, then I got the, uh, the Osmo, the DJI Osmo. That was about five or six hundred dollars as well. Um, I got like four GoPro cameras. Um, the drone was probably the thing that cost me the most. That was about two grand. Um, uh, after you get all the, uh, batteries and accessories and things like that. Um, so yeah, we're talking about a couple grand in for, 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 for video equipment. And then, um, you know, because, um, editing takes so long, you know, and, and there's such a huge learning curve with that. And I found myself editing some of my videos and it would take me like eight, 10, 12 hours a day just to edit the videos. And I'm like, I can just be so much more productive. My time's worth so much more. Um, I actually hired a actual video editor, uh, the same guy that helps me with my Udemy, Udemy uh, videos. And, uh, I pay him a, you know, a salary, um, you know, a couple grand a month and, uh, to edit my video. That's so crazy. <laughs> and how much have you actually made from your channel so far? Uh, I think I make like $70 a month <laughs> or something like that. See, I actually checked. Yeah. It was funny because uh, I launched the channel, I think about six months ago, five, six months ago. And I haven't really logged into my AdSense account to actually see how much money is in there. I don't really care. And I think I logged in for the first time like a couple weeks ago and there was like 500 bucks in there. So yeah, it's about 70 or 80 bucks a month. <laughs> That's cool. So pay for so, like half a month of editing? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> not, not even. Man. Uh, a portion of it. <laughs> but so I, I think one cool thing is the fact that we now have the freedom to be able to invest in things that we're not necessarily going to get an immediate ROI from. No, no, no. No, I, no definitely not. I mean, it's not, it, like I said, it's not a business for me. It's more of a passion project and a fun project. And uh, I'm definitely very privileged and very blessed to have the income and the money to be able to invest because that's an investment for my, you know, just personal project, my personal future to just document my life, you know? I, so, I think it's really cool. Yeah. And actually, one of the, the, the reasons I'm so glad you have a YouTube channel is when we hang out, <laughs> It's like I have a professional film crew <laughs> with your drone, your Osmo, your, your all your GoPro cameras. So it documents cool things that I've been doing right. without me having to film, which I'm not the best at. I'm like, it's, I, I, I do a little bit, like I probably only make like maybe, I don't know, two or three videos a month maximum. Right. And I like doing it, but it's not like my, my, my passion. I, I like doing podcasts a lot more than I like making videos. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so... This is almost kind of like one way I document yep. my life. The people I meet, I can go back and listen to some of the episodes. Auditory, yeah. But 
I do like that you make cool videos so then I can go back, I either share them or I can watch them myself. And it's a lot of fun for me, man. And I was talking about this to you, I think yesterday, we were talking about how like just the ability to make a cool video of like diving or something or fishing or something, right? And like my mom and dad can't be next to me experiencing that same thing or my best friend can't be next to me experiencing that same thing. But to be, have the ability to create that video and then share that with them and have that video for the rest of my life, I think that's priceless right so so spending a couple grand a month um a couple thousand dollars in video equipment it's it's all worth it it's not I like no, it. i'm not that's the roi i receive you, you know? know you've inspired me to get a, finally get my first gopro <laughs> i can't be, i've never when did the gopro come out uh it came out a while ago bro <laughs> i think we're on the gopro 5 now oh, man, man. <laughs> so, i'm a little bit behind that technology <laughs> but you've inspired me to get my first gopro <laughs> i'm uh just for diving because diving you know, has always been such a big part of my life. And even though I have made a bunch of dive videos in the past, you know, they're not like super HD anymore because back then, I, I don't I don't know, maybe a couple of them are at 720, but I think most of them are at like 480p. <laughs> yeah, 480p. <laughs> and there's so many amazing things underwater oh, that gosh. I want to share with the world, especially my future kids, yeah. because unfortunately, oh, yeah. that the world is disappearing. Like, I, I don't think people yeah. realize this, but the underwater world is literally disappearing. Yeah, corals getting bleached, you know, the environment, uh, whale sharks are, you know, depreciating in numbers. I mean, just all the cool creatures we have today may not exist, you know, three, seven, ten years from now, you know? So for sure, I, I definitely agree with you 100%. Yeah, a lot of the dive sites that I, I go to now, you know, and I'm like, and I see you know, turtles or sharks or manta rays or these whale sharks. I know for a fact, and knock on wood, hopefully I'm wrong, yeah. but... In this trend, every like two years, they disappear by like 50%. That's so sad. And it's because of unsustainable fishing methods where yep. people do like these crazy ways to just grab as much fish as possible yep. while killing everything else, all the bycatch, uh, killing the, the, the corals. And, and people just don't, aren't thinking about it. You know, like I have no problem with people catching fish or eating fish because if everyone in the world started fishing with like a actual real rod, and rod real. Yep. you know, just a normal, you know, what you think is as fishing. There would be plenty of fish in the world. 100%. But the problem is when people, you know, you know, buy uh, fish at a sushi restaurant or at a supermarket, that fish is normally fished by these crazy long trawling nets that are like miles long or, you know, these long lines are miles long or the trawl, you know, trawl net, uh, trawling nets are super wide and they just scoop everything up. So nothing can reproduce, you know. All the other like stuff is just just gone. Yeah, and they're catching stuff that is being wasted too, stuff that they don't normally eat or can't eat, you know, and they it's just dead now. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. So you know, as, so hopefully you know this podcast also kind of uh, spreads that word. So anyone who is kind of in some kind of situation where they can help that, uh, awesome. I'm I'm all for supporting that. So let me know if there's any like any programs that are actually uh, doing some kind, you know, like actually giving an alternative or actually fixing the problem i'm not big on just talking about problems i want like solutions yep uh so for example behind us uh and i don't know who, by the way this is the, one of the first episodes ever that i'm filming and uh, it's all thanks to david so this is gonna be one of the the first episodes ever on youtube um that you know with you know that's actually showing our faces right. uh so you guys check it out on my channel there uh unfortunately i normally don't have the setup for this so i don't have I don't know. I guess I could. I just I just don't set it up. Um, just need a couple of lights, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're sitting here on the rooftop of my, my condo in Chiang Mai, and we have this beautiful mountain behind us. It's Doi Su Tep. Uh, it's, you know, sunset right now, and it's gorgeous. You can see the lush green. You can see, like, the clouds and the, the temple up there, and it's so beautiful. But 
Uh, unfortunately, every March, April, it is you can't even see like twenty feet because there's smoke that just covers the entire the entire mountain from burning season. Burning season, yep. So I love everyone complains about it every year. They they like they're like, oh man, burning season sucks. And during those three months, everyone complains about it. But the rest of the year, people forget. But what I did was I set up a reoccurring donation to Warm Hearts Worldwide where they actually are, have found a solution. So instead of telling the farmers you can't do this and the farmers having a, no solution and doing it anyway, they are actually introducing something called the Biochar Project where they help turn those those crops into biocharcoal, which they can oh, wow. then sell. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So things like that, I'm all for. So if anyone knows of anything like that for like the for sustainable fishing, I'm always down to support uh, those kind of causes. Right. I, I have personally never, never come across anything like that. I like it. So... Kind <laughs> of back on track. I know that was a bit of a rant. Uh, let's actually talk about fishing because we just came back for one of the coolest trips of my life. Oh man! Look, I've been fishing since I was like five years old. I'm now 33, so you know that's nearly 30 years <laughs> of fishing. And uh, yesterday, Johnny and I got to go to Bo Sang Bo Sang Fishing Park here in Chiang Mai. And uh, for for those guys that actually appreciate fishing, you'll love this, man. It was honestly one of the best fishing days of my life and i'm so glad you got to experience that johnny i mean we're catching some of the biggest catfish i have ever seen period you know and they're like 40 50 60 pounds they're just they're that that one with your picture you got to put up on your on your uh show notes or something but that was as big as you almost man (laughs) i'll definitely put that in the show notes of this episode travel like a boss podcast.com uh episode 136 or just check my instagram just look for johnny fdk but it was gigantic (laughs) It was like it was it was it was so heavy that I I was like David can you hurry up and take this freaking picture because I was gonna drop it. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. Like I mean, uh, I live in California, and then you know if you catch like a a ten pound catfish, it's like whoa. Actually, funny story. Yeah. So my my buddy uh, Rick, I'm chatting him on Facebook, and he was telling me how you know he went fishing the other day, and uh, I was like, cool. What was the biggest fishy catfish you got? He was like, oh, it's about eighteen inches. And then I sent him a, a picture of your catfish, and he was like. Whoa. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> so mine was probably like 70 inches. <laughs> but not, not just like the size of the fish, just the, the whole experience. It was a really cool lake. Um, the people there were so nice, you know. And but when you hook up one of those monsters, man, it's like it's like a fight for your life. I mean, how? I mean, you're a big guy and you work out, bro, and you you're sweating and you're getting work, bro. I was looking at you. <laughs> I was exhausted. If anyone's like, if you guys have never reeled in a fish over, I don't know what, twenty pounds, I guess. <laughs> Or like, how, how, what do you think these weighed? Uh, they're 50 plus, the ones that you caught, yeah. Okay, so 50 pounds, you're like, yeah, I can lift 50 pounds, bro. I'm at the gym, <laughs> I curl 50 pounds, <laughs> all right? But trust me, it's different, right? <laughs> when you are fighting a 50-pound beast that's swimming <laughs> against you, right, and they are just pure muscle, right? it's like, it's so hard. It took, you know, for like 20, 30 minutes straight of just, just using every muscle you have, keeping your core, you know, straight, Using your back into it, right? And like, and it's a delicate balance. I think that's what I like about it so much. Right. Is it's a it's a dance where you try not to lose the fish. Nope. Yep. Actually, can you explain how that works for people that don't know? Yeah. So once you hook a fish, just everyone just you know for people that don't fish, just thinks you just you know hook a fish and then you reel it in. But there's so many things that can go wrong, right? The 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 hook can get pulled out of the fish's mouth, right? He can shake his head and you can lose it. The line can break, the rod can break, which actually didn't happen. The, the one of our fishing rods broke uh, in the middle of Johnny catching a fish and he had a hand line it in. That was so freaking cool. One of the last fishes we caught. I want you guys to ma- imagine <laughs> what this what this actually means, okay? So imagine I'm like 
I, I, I hook a fish and I'm like, re- you know, reeling it in, doing the dance, like right? 15 minutes back so and forth. So what you do is you have to lower the... Okay, so basically you hold, you lean back so the rod is straight when the fish is fighting you and trying to swim away. Right, keeping pressure on the fish. Yep. Keeping the pressure, that way the hook doesn't fall out. Yep. Okay, and then as soon as you feel, and it's all this is all about feel, uh-huh. right? Yep. Which is, I like it a lot. Well, as soon as you feel it, like kind of taking up. a rest. Easing up. Yeah, yep. easing up. Then you lower the rod, and, you reel and while you reel in to bring in that that the slack, the line, yep. the line. But then, as then you can't just keep doing that. Uh-uh. You have to bring it back up. So the like, as, is it is it as soon as you start feeling the fish start moving again, or no? You're basically it, pulling it when you're when you when the rod is low when you have the rod lowered and you're pulling the rod in. You're basically pulling it in a couple feet. Oh, so you are pulling it. In. Yeah, okay. you're, you're pulling it in. Yep. So it's like a motion where you're like you reel in a little bit while you lower the rod. You pull it back straight. You kind of pause for a second to feel if it's swimming. If it's not, yep, you, you exactly. could repeat, reel back in. But you're doing this like a dance, back and forth, back and forth yep. for 10, 20, 30 minutes at a time. Uh-huh, exactly. And then the fish could get a burst of energy. And let's say you reeled in 20 feet of line. And all of a sudden, he takes off like 30 or 40 feet. So it's literally a game of tug of war. Yeah. And you're you know? losing like 40 <laughs> feet of line. And it's a mental, mental, mental battle. Yeah. Uh, and so 20 minutes of this and I'm exhausted. My muscles are just fried. I like, I, I'm like, I, 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 I'm just, you know, I'm as tired as the fish and I get it like within feet. I can see the fish like 10 feet away. And I think it's because partially because it's, it's almost out of the water. So right. the weight becomes more. Yes, exactly. The fishing rod that we had snapped in half <laughs> and I'm holding on to half the rod and I see the, the line going out. I was like, oh crap. So I grab the bare fishing line. Which is not good. You can seriously cut your hand yeah. doing that. But Johnny wasn't thinking. You know, just I wasn't thinking. Spur of the moment, right? And I was like, I'm not letting this fish get away. I've been, I've been reading this too long. So I just grab on the line and I'm wrapping it on my hand, which is not what you should do. Because you can, you can either get, first off, cut your hand up yep, or easily. it can drag you into the water. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, there's this cool Thai guy. He was a yep. drummer next to us. <laughs> yeah. He just comes and fishes, and he like runs up with a towel right. and gives it to me. And I use a towel and I wrap that around the line, and right. I I physically just start pulling the fish <laughs> in on the line until we get to the shore. Grab it by the, we put our our hand in its mouth, almost right. kind of like we're noodling. Yep. And we just pulled on 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 shore. So lucky, man. So lucky. You typically things like that, you lose the fish. <laughs> so it was actually really cool that we're actually able to catch it. And what's cool about this fishing too that I like at this lake is it's all catch and release. You know, so we you know none of the fish are taken out of the water and killed and eaten. So it's all catch and release and just for fun. Yeah. So and it's a sport. And I, and, I, and I think if anyone has never fished before or hunted or something, there's a primal feeling that you get <laughs> when you get that fish and. I, th- I think it's there's some people who might be listening to this. I, I know we got some vegans that listen. They're <laughs> like, why are you doing this, bro? Right, right. But I swear to you that this is a primal human feeling. I do understand it is kind of an option if we do it a lot. You know, in this day and age, we could go to the supermarket. But to be honest, you know, as what we were talking about earlier, this going to the supermarket is actually probably one of the worst things you can do to acquire food because it's not sustainable. If every single person picked up a rod and reel, and went out and, did, and caught your own fish, I guarantee you this world would be, be way more environmentally friendly. Right, right. You even hunt it for your own meat, 100%. Yeah. So that is, you know, and it's it's kind of hard to logically, you know, fathom that. You're like, oh, well, you know, by you going hunting and you killing an animal or you, you know, you going fishing, how is that helping the world? Trust me, it is. Yep, exactly. I agree. And 
more more than that, I mean, regardless of all that, it fulfills this primal like like what like what is it about pulling a fish out of the water that that excites you? Uh, I mean, just knowing that it's a challenge, you know, because so many things can go wrong and you could easily lose it. But just just it's like it's like a video game for me. It's like winning, you know, like I I accomplish and I won, you know, and that that's what makes it really fun for me. But the primal thing too, for sure, you know, I never, I never actually thought of it that way. Um, but uh, I agree, yeah, hundred percent. Because I think built into every one of us is this this notion that we know that if it wasn't for supermarkets that. We would starve. Right. Our family would starve if we weren't able to do this. Right, right. 100%. Yeah, and just having the skill of, you know, hunting and farming, it just makes you feel alive in a way, you know, not just relying on the supermarkets like you said. Yeah, 100%. And being outdoors even, yeah. just spending the whole day. I mean, it was kind of funny because it was a Monday <laughs> and we were supposed to be working. And instead, we spent, what, 10 hours Yeah, I fishing? think we were at the lake for 10 hours. We were like literally the last ones there. They were yelling at us to get out of the, the lake. Everyone had already packed up and left and we were still there and it was like getting dark already. So that was pretty funny. Yeah, they turned off the lights and we were like just trying to grab our stuff. and But... It's, I think being out and resetting yourself and not bring your laptop, not, you know, like just, just not being plugged in for a day, it, it helps your brain so much. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer too that us as human beings, we were built and designed to spend time in nature. I think that's one of the keys to happiness is spending a good day in nature at least once a week. I mean, we weren't designed as human beings to sit in an office and stare at a rectangular screen for eight to 10 hours a day, seven days a week, five days a week, you know, um, definitely spending time in nature is a huge thing for me. And that's definitely a big, big thing for me when it comes to fishing is getting a chance to spend time at the lake, at the beach, at the ocean, and just spending that time in nature, breathing that air and seeing the scene and soaking up the sun. And it's definitely my happy for sure. You know, I can see that. And I'm, I'm grateful that we actually, even though we live in different countries, we actually hang out pretty often. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I put up a post the other day, like, you know, I think in like uh, about a over, we've known each other for over a year, but we've probably done more cool shit in so many different countries than I have with, you know, my friends. I hate to say this, but my friends at home that I've known for like 10 years, you know, it's sad, but it's true. And I think it's because we both have freedom of both location right. and of money now. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And yes, yeah, that's the best freedom in the world, right? Yep. A hundred percent. Because, you know, most of my friends at home, they're, they're still on the rat race. They work at a J-O-B and, uh, you know, that that's what they do, you know, so. Uh, it, it's so insane to me because so before okay so the, before this where did we hang out last like when we when did we see each other it was it was Portugal right yeah Port, Lisbon Portugal <laughs> yeah. but then we spent a, a week there and we did some pretty cool stuff there too <laughs> so you're Chiang Mai Portugal before that was in Colanta Colanta yeah and then before that was in LA yep LA how Anaheim. crazy is that yeah all over the world yeah it's really crazy yeah and. You, it's because of you. I, I probably only fish when you're here, to be honest. <laughs> really, that's cool, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, so it's fun. So let's let's talk a little bit about the actual passives, right? Sure. So if you guys want to know more about David's uh, eBay course or how much he makes from actually doing eBay himself, that was the first episode. Right. The second episode, I think we talked a little bit about the actual what I guess the the other income streams like freedom um, and lifestyle. Yeah, freedom and lifestyle. And then this one, let's talk a little bit about the Airbnb business because I think a lot of people are interested in that. Yeah, it's really cool. It's something that uh, you know I've dabbled into over the last year and a half. I could. What happened for me was you know since I started traveling more, I discovered websites like Airbnb and VRBO where you can rent uh, people's homes versus staying at an expensive hotel, which always feels like you know a commercial experience versus a personal feel good at home experience. And um, I've I've met so many people, and I always had the impression that these people actually own their homes but the majority of the hosts that i met actually didn't own their home and that was like mind-blowing to me i'm like wait a minute 
you're renting this place out and you're turning a profit and you don't even own the home? I said, that is freaking cool. So that seed was planting my brain. I think after one of my vacations with my mom, I came home and I just started looking into this. I was like, this seems like a very simple model. It's basically arbitrage and it's rental arbitrage, right? I I think that's cool because I've stayed in a lot of Airbnbs now. I've stayed at them in Canada. I've stayed at them in Poland and in like just, you know, random countries. And one thing I've noticed is that every host that I've stayed at, they've had multiple properties. Yeah, 100%. They don't, you know, it's not like they, they bought, you know, $3 million worth of real estate. It's they're, they're they're doing your exact model. They're arbitraging. Yeah, they're just they're just hosting. They're run, they're running a basically a property management company, you know. But rental arbitrage, where basically you know you're able to uh, contact a landlord, a homeowner, a property manager, and uh, you know get in on a monthly lease, and then turn around, furnish it if you have to, and then rent it more. And that's where the arbitrage opportunity re- uh, lies, is because you're able to rent it long term and pay monthly, right? And then you can turn around and charge a higher rate because you're renting it out on a daily short-term rate. So you can get a lot more money doing it that way and making a profit. And you know the way I we do it with me and my, my two business partners, it's a it's a very very semi-passive income for us. You know, I think uh, between me and my partners, we maybe work um, three to five hours a week just managing the properties, and we physically don't have to be there. I mean, I'm here in Thailand with you, and we have uh, over ten properties now on Airbnb, all the, uh, you know between uh, LA. Hollywood, Anaheim, Huntington Beach, and we're actually um, starting a couple in Bangkok. I think so. that's that's crazy because when most people think about passive income, they all think online, right? Which I think is you know definitely the most location dependent. But the way that you're doing it is actually very good for, especially if someone, if you guys are in the U.S. right now and you don't plan on moving at least for the next couple of months, there's very little reason not to do this uh, because it's it's like a it's like a, a physical thing that you can like touch. And you could see and you know there's value there, but then you're not investing, you know, five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars into a house no. and then to rent out. This is a way we can get in pretty cheap. So for example, so Anaheim's pretty expensive, right? It's like right. uh you know, it's right by Disneyland, it's California, Southern California. So how much would it be if you wanted to buy a comparable oh, easy. Condo half house? a million? Okay. Yeah, half a million. So, you know, you could, I guess, take out mortgage on that. Yeah, but 100K that, loan, right? But then, you, yeah, you first off, you put a 100K down, which most people don't have. Mm-hmm. Second, you'd have a 30-year mortgage that you'd be responsible for. But instead, the way you do it is it's like you, you're you basically just renting an apartment, right? Right. And that's the, different, that's the biggest difference, right? Rather than um, spending 100K and owning a home and renting it out long term or even doing Airbnb when you're owning a home, I'd rather take that 100K because a lot of these properties that we're um, acquiring and renting, one-bedroom, two-bedroom studios and condos, apartments um, we only really put in between five thousand to ten thousand dollars each total all in as far as the moving costs the furniture the decor uh, first month's rent deposit I mean all in five to ten thousand dollars you know so you can technically open 10 to 20 with that same 100k and you can cash flow 10 to 20 times way more much more money than actually owning one property and, and, and your liability is way less way less way less way 100 way less exactly and that's why i like the this model a lot more because you can make so much more money um with little risk so i like it I, so i remember staying in one of your airbnb properties actually even before i met you in person yeah it was, <laughs> was cr- cool it was crazy it was about a year ago uh dave was like oh i heard you're coming to la yep. he's like you know do you want to do you want to stay in one of my places and i was like that, that'd be cool actually i need a place to stay <laughs> and he set me up and he said here's the instructions and you never 
you never had to personally do anything. No, no, it was I, all I, automated it, through right. a VA. They they sent me an, an email saying, yeah. uh, "Check in instructions." Know, here's the checking instructions. Here is the direction of the place. Here is how to open the lockbox. So you can get yep. your key. Yep. 100%. When I went in, it was like, here's your Wi-Fi code. Here's everything. Yep. I was like, oh, this is very comfortable. Yep. And I actually remember thinking like, this is like really, really well run. Mm-hmm. All right. And then when you to- then when I finally met you like four days later, even though I had been staying at your place for four days, I was like, this is like, this is cool. It's like, it, it, it feels very virtual. Yep. It's a very, very cool model, you know, and you can definitely cash flow and make make a good amount of income. I mean, each property for us, um, we generate anywhere between two to $3,000 a property. You know? And so, then that's in profit. That's in profit. That's crazy. Yeah, so the, the, the rule of thumb, and I'll, I'll give this to your, to your audience, is uh, you want a two extra rent, right? So if you're paying um, $2,000 a month in rent, your minimum goal is to, to bring in $4,000 in revenue so you could double to make $2,000 profit. But there's uh, there's different seasons in, in, in the vacation rental market because for us in Southern California, a lot of people like to travel there during the summertime. So when summertime hits, we charge triple or quadruple we make six seven eight thousand dollars sometimes on any given month you know so it's a very very lucrative model and you can definitely do it uh semi-passively i like that so i remember and i'm guilty of this is when you first told me about it i was thinking kind of very close-minded and i was like i don't know if i'll do this this you know it's i don't you know this you know what if what if right Mm -hmm. so all the what if questions i had were things like uh what if airbnb shuts down on your city what if and that does happen yeah it does yeah you know what if this what if that right and I think like any kind of business, there's always going to be the what ifs. Right. But what I liked was when you explained to me, you're like, you know, you you said the calculations for the money that we would put in to buy furniture and then the, the money that we would lose on our deposit if we broke at least early is made up in X amount of months. Uh, can you kind of explain how that works? Yeah. So going in, when we first acquired um, our first property, it was two bedroom, two bath uh, in Huntington Beach. Uh, we we're just testing the market. And the way, the math that I had it down was we we're going to invest $10,000 and we we're going to make about $2,000 a month. So we should technically get our ROI back in five to six months, you know, at least, you know. Um, when we went all in, we ended up making our money back within three months and a lot of our other places within two months. Are all, so the, as you can see, the risk is very, very, very minimal. So, so could we kind of break down what those yeah. costs were? Like, so first and last month's rent? Yeah, no, it's usually first month's rent and okay. deposit. Okay, and right? so, which is my oh, so two okay. so two two thousand dollars uh the deposit for that place was about a thousand, so three thousand dollars just to move in. Okay. So if two months later you decided to cancel the contract, what would you lose? We would just lose that month's rent. Okay. And maybe a couple hundred dollar pendant for uh for canceling. Okay. Early. Yeah. And I guess in the worst case scenario, if you lost the whole deposit, and so in total that would only you know a few thousand, couple dollars. thousand dollars. Okay, and then you still own the furniture because that's your stuff. Okay, right? so the furniture, how much are you spending per unit to to, to build that out? Uh, so on one bedrooms, it's about four thousand, and two bedrooms is about six thousand because the extra bedroom is just another bed and you know a nightstand and a dresser. But okay. um, that's pretty much it. But I guess the good thing about that is that that like once that's kind of paid off, you that's yours. So if you wanted to, you could sell it again. Exactly, okay. exactly. And you own it, and um, it can. And, you know, once you once you turn a profit, it's really cool because it's all hundred percent pure cash flow profit. So from there, those are like the two big uh, expenses. Are there any other expenses? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Yeah, pretty much it. And then besides that, you know, you want to build a team. That's just, that's really key to running a successful semi-passive business because you can do everything yourself. You can, uh, gosh, you know, I mean, can't imagine doing it, but cleaning the place yourself, um, stocking the place yourself, checking the guests in yourself, you know, handling all the customer uh, inquiries yourself. Um, that does take a lot of work, but if you outsource everything and hire the right people to do it, that's where you free up so much of your time and you can just kind of manage everything on the back end. I like it. So 
for your first property, did you do that stuff manually in the beginning? Just 100%. Learn it? Okay. Because you have to. I think, I think you know, anyone that's starting any business, you got to get in the trenches and dig the ditch, right? You have to get do the work. So that way you can learn the ins and outs of the business and learn what it takes to optimize it and then build the right system and find the right to, to manage, you know? So yeah, the first two um, we did uh, on our own. And uh, man, we made so many mistakes, bro. Oh my gosh. I think we spent like a week um, shopping because, you know, we're guys, we're not like interior decorators or designers. So we did all the shopping ourselves. Um, we went back and forth to the furniture store. I remember one of the biggest mistakes we made was we hired a, we, we, we rented a U-Haul truck and we wanted to save money. So we started driving around LA going to all these used furniture places. We went to like seven or eight furniture. We spent the whole day to look for like a dining set or, you know, sofa, a bed. And I'm like, this is so stupid. I'd rather just have like a furniture broker and buy it new. Cause that would save me so much time and have them come. And then after we got the stuff, me and my friend spent two days assembling everything. <laughs> like it was horrible, man. Like, Oh, you know, so doing that though, it makes you learn, right? It makes you smarter and more creative. Right. So then, yeah, we went to the furniture broker and you know, we can order anything and they come and install it within a couple hours. So yeah, you know, you learn as you go. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's my, like, you know, my cheapness coming, coming out. I remember <laughs> when I first saw, no, I'm good. Uh, when I first stayed at the place, I was like, man, this is like really nice furniture. And then you told me you bought everything new. In my mind, the first thing I thought was like, oh man, I can arbitrage this even cheaper right, exactly. by going on Craigslist, no. getting like secondhand stuff. But I want you guys to remember how much of a pain in the ass it was to move the last time you guys moved. Yes. Now imagine <laughs> doing that for an entire house and doing that like all the time. Well, remember, because now, now this is a business. It's not in your personal place to live, right? So let's say you're, you know, you moved in on the 10th of the month. Every day that it's not being rented, you're losing money, right? So you're, you're the number one goal when you acquire a place and you're moving in is to turn around as quickly as possible. So driving around and buying all the stuff, you know, buying secondhand stuff, was just really a waste of time and take too much time. For us, now we have a system built um, where we can turn around the place within 24 hours hours so literally a day after we move in it's already rent ready and it's actually already rented that's how quick we are now you know that's so cool and yeah. i think that is like higher level thinking than most people most people have i think a lot of people don't value their own time i think that's one of the biggest problems that a lot of people who want to be an entrepreneur uh, that they suffer from is that they don't value their time they think oh, okay i can save some money by by learning it on my own or doing it on my own and first off they underestimated the amount of time it's going to take right because normally it's going to take 10 times longer than people think and then they also don't realize that they're losing money every day that's not up yep yep 100 percent. i agree i like it so you, you said you have 10 properties now yeah we have well nine and then we got three in bangkok that uh we, we just need to listen put the photos up that's so insane yeah. so you guys are growing pr- pretty fast right because yeah. when did you start doing this uh eight no sorry 19, 20 months ago. So not even two years yet. Almost, wow. almost coming up in two years. Okay. And how, wh- what are you guys profiting every month? Uh, we're profiting easily over 10K a month. Easily. That's so cool. On a minimum. Sometimes uh, as high as 20K uh, on like the summer months. And now that a lot of these properties are have kind of paid themselves off, I guess, like as, in terms of um, like furniture has been paid off, the deposits are kind of paid off. Your, your risk is only when you open new uh, like new properties, right? That's the only risk, yeah. Because you go through that cycle of risk um, for every new property and it's usually, if you do it, uh, you know, um, like as good as us, it's three months. Um, but if you do it normally, it could probably take six months to get your ROI back. But that's pretty much it. And then after that, it's it's no risk. I, th- I think it's really cool. I'm really excited about this. I think this is something that 
anybody can wrap their heads around because everyone knows how to rent a place because I'm sure everyone's rented an apartment before. Everyone knows how to furnish a place because everyone's moved into a place before, especially if you just hire, like you did, an interior designer, which I think is really cool. Yeah, interior decorator. It's it, it's a very simple model. There's there's no rocket sciences. It's, it's just all execution. Um, but it, it's just a three-step process where you're acquiring the property and then you're furnishing it and then you're just renting it out on websites like Airbnb and VRBO and just making sure you set it at the right competitive price, making sure that you have the best photos because photos are everything when it comes to vacation rentals because that's the number one selling point that's the first thing people see you know so just making sure their place is picture perfect and rent ready and looking good and um it's very simple yeah and then just building systems around it that allow the property to sustain itself while you're not there is also very key to having that lifestyle and i think that's when like going through like your course on airbnb is most helpful but i think to get started a lot of people kind of just be like all right you know what let me just kind of make some mistakes on my own but then when once they want to scale it up and automate it or if they are the type that they don't want to make mistakes in the first place they can go straight through your course right yep and that's what's really cool we just launched this course i think about two or three weeks ago and it's a course that we've actually been working actually the last time you were there in in cali we were we were we were recording at your the place that you were staying at and i wanted to make this course really professional high quality um amazing value and content and the reason why it took so long to finally complete it was i felt for the last like eight months, it wasn't complete. And it wasn't, but finally, um, we finally finished all the lectures a couple of weeks ago. And it's been a huge success. So I'm I, really, really happy for. I think it's super cool that you guys filmed it on location in your Airbnb properties because then people can kind of see that, like, this is this is what it looks like. This is real. That's the biggest differentiator for us because I checked out. There's a lot of courses, you know, when it comes to you know teaching something about eBay or teaching how to make a podcast. Um, there's definitely dozens of courses out there on Airbnb and I've checked a lot of them out and the biggest thing I didn't see and what makes our course so unique and different is we take you behind the scenes where we show you how we think like hey this is a one bedroom this is a two bedroom here's our layout here's the beds why do we use this bed over that bed why do we hardwood floors over carpet you know all those little details you know those little one percenters and uh, we just really take you behind the scenes as if you were right next to you know and as if we were training you right next to them. and that's why I um, I really like about our course. I think that's why all your courses are as good as they are because you actually show that. Uh, kind of like, so for example, David's eBay course, if you guys aren't part of that, it's he actually shows you his stores. He right. shows you his dashboards. He shows you how much he's making. He even shows you some of the products that he's selling. So that way you can kind of see exact, not only do you see, get the concept of how to do it or why to do it, but you can see that how he's done it. And I follow the same thing for my Ernest Affiliate course, where I show you guys my dashboards of the products I promoted, how much I made from it, which posts it came from, the and how much money I made from each of those. And I think that is a very key part of any course where even though in the ideal world, you don't need it. You know, you can kind of just the person's word for it that they know what right. they're talking about. You right. can just learn from it. But I honestly think that people kind of need to see it. I think that's one of the best and fastest ways to learn is it's called modeling knowledge where, I mean, if you take, for example, like Michael Jordan, right? And you want to learn how to shoot a basketball, you can listen to someone telling you how to shoot a basketball. You can watch a couple of videos of it, but imagine if you could be right next to Michael Jordan, watching him shoot the basketball and paying close attention to what he's doing. I think you can learn a lot better because you can model right after that, you know? So that's why when I teach any course, it's, it's all about um, that student watching me and learning from me and how do I do that through the camera by emulating that kind of environment to learn modeling knowledge. I think so. So if you guys are curious what David's courses are, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, episode 136 uh, of the Travel Like Boss podcast, or you can kind of just click on your phone and it'll probably take you there. Uh, so one thing I really like about the Airbnb business, even more than I like about all the other online courses we do, 
is because people can physically touch it, physically go there. And I think that is a big step that a lot of people who are trying to transition from an offline business to an online business kind of need. You know, I think for me, it was really hard when I started to go completely online and completely virtual right. to try to sell something that, you know, is digital, you know, because it's like, it's it's so... I don't want to say airy fairy, but it's like one of those things like it's hard to like, it's different than physically holding a product in your hand. Right. You know, physically stepping into a room because when someone steps into an Airbnb, they're like, I can see why someone would pay $150. You know, because it's like you 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 lay on the bed, you're like, and you see all the furniture, you're like, you see the location, you see the layout, and you're like, okay, I can see why people would pay $150 for this. Versus when you're trying to sell an ebook or digital product, it's really hard to know, is this worth $299 or is this worth $299? Yeah, you know, I agree with you too because, I mean, I like both. I like online and I like offline businesses. I mean, the majority of the money we spend is offline. We go eat at restaurants. We go to the grocery store. So, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't mind having a lot of offline businesses. I wouldn't mind owning a thousand gas stations or a bunch of car washes. That's actually one of my visions in the future is to own a bunch of offline businesses and online businesses. But the thing I like about the vacation rentals, is it's kind of both, you know, because you have that tangible asset and product and that actual property. But then you also have the website where you have to manage and go in there and, you know, you know, tweak the, the title and the settings and the photos and stuff. And it's really cool. And I, and one of the biggest benefits to having these places is just like you mentioned, it, it's a place where let's say it's not booked for a couple of nights. You can go there and stay. Uh, you know, you can have friends and family come over and, and you can block out the dates for them. So you always have a place to, one of, one of my visions is to have Airbnbs and all my favorite countries and all the states that I like visiting a lot. So that way, when I travel, I don't need to book a place to stay. I always have my own place that I can stay at, you know? So I think yeah, that's pretty cool too. You know, cool it's going to be nice. You know, it's going to be designed the way you want. You know, it's going to be easy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's why I, I love it. I love this model. Um, I definitely see our vision expanding and growing to, you know, 40, 50, 100 plus properties. I mean, as big as we can go. So what do you think is the, the main thing that's uh, kind of bottlenecking that, that growth? The, biggest thing that's bottlenecking that growth that we're encountering is Airbnb's messaging system is not set up for business owners like us. It's really set up for people that own one or two properties and listen to me. Um, their messaging system is really archaic. There's really no there's really no way to organize your, your guests. Like basically how it works is um, it's kind of like Facebook. Every message that comes in, it just gets flooded down. So there's no way to um, manage the guests uh, in a fashionable way. Um, I actually met um, one of the largest hosts in Southeast Asia in Bangkok. He actually has 50 plus properties. And he has four full-time employees working, um, you know, 24-hour shifts just to respond to messages. So that's one of the biggest things that um, going in, we're, we're still trying to figure out. You know? So that's kind of bottlenecking us from growing and moving faster. That. Yeah. So Airbnb, if you guys are listening to this, you guys should start an <laughs> Airbnb business <Yeah>. account, <laughs> premium account. Maybe charge some extra money for it. I'm sure people like David would be happy to pay for it. Totally, exactly. Yeah. I like it. But you know, that's a high value problem to have. I think these are things that people, even though it's kind of nice to know like what you should kind of think about, you know, two years on the road, I think it's better not to focus on these things and just say, you know what? Every business is going to have some kind of bottlenecks when issues that come up. Let me just get started my first one. Yep. Exactly. You know, and that's what we did. We got our first one. We made our money back. And you know, for us, it's a little bit different because we, we don't need the money per se, right? It's not something that we have to live on. It's not our paycheck. Um, me, between me and my business partners, we both, we all three of us have uh, so many different things going on as far as other income streams. So what we did was when we made that money back, our ROI, we just took that money and got the second property, right? And so we doubled 
And uh, once that second property made that money back, uh, it's now doubled. And we, we, we took that money, we opened up two more. You know, so we went from one to two. To, we just doubled every month. Uh, two to four, four to eight. And now we're sitting at uh, nine going on uh, 12. So it's, it's pretty cool. And now the money is catching up so fast. We have, we have more money in our uh, account than we, we know what to do. We can open up 10 next month we, we wanted to with all the cash that's in there. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. I think that's super cool. So I'm going to give everyone a bit of homework, okay? Your homework is if you guys have a spare place that is not being occupied right now or the next time you guys go on vacation for even a week or longer, I want you guys to rent out your place on Airbnb. And I want you to do this, even if, you, if you're not going to jump into this kind of model yet, I want right. you to get the experience, build up, you know, go through the process that's of creating point. an Airbnb account. So smart. Uh, I want you to, you know, get, you know, those... You know, kind of get that experience, but also kind of get a feel of what it's like. And you can start building up your credibility on Airbnb. So if you do decide you want to do this, that you guys have a platform, you have a base. Yep. And I encourage anyone listening to if you're if you are interested in um, looking into this or starting something like this. I mean, you really just got to do your homework, right? Um, I always tell people you want to be in an area where there's a lot of people coming in and out. Touristy areas are really good, like Bangkok, Chiang Mai, for for sure, Lisbon, Portugal, right? Like, I wouldn't do it in, like, Ada, Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, like, in the middle of nowhere where people don't go because, obviously, there's not a big market. So, obviously, do your homework. Find a good location. Um, negotiate a good uh, rent with your, your landlord. And then just give it a shot. You know, follow the course. Yeah, I like it. Uh, but, I mean, if you guys already have a place, I, I, I know so many people yeah. that have yep. a place that's sitting empty or let's say you rent it to someone, right? The next time they move out, instead of renting it directly to the new tenant for a year, just give it a shot. Right. Like you already own the place. You have nothing to lose. Just try it out. And you, you'll be surprised how easy it is to become a Airbnb host, right. which is basically like a mini hotel owner. Yep, basically. Yeah, and then the, the, the returns are really good. And typically, you know, on average, it's 40 to 70% more that you can make versus renting it out long-term on a monthly basis. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I 100%. So... Uh, if you want to check out David's course, check out the show notes of this episode. Uh, me and David are going to go enjoy the rest of Chiang Mai. You're, you're here for what, another week at least? Uh, a couple of days, man. I've been here for for a while. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Going to be ending the trip soon, unfortunately. I love Chiang Mai. Johnny, thanks so much for spending all the time with me the past uh, couple of days showing me all around Chiang Mai. And uh, I can't wait to be back, man. I, I have a feeling David's definitely going to be back. <laughs> I'm going to come back for a couple months for sure. Maybe uh, in February? February. Yep, February. Yes, I told you yes. Yeah? So here's the official announcement that we have David on the podcast. He's committed to be one of the speakers at the 2017 Nomad Summit. Super excited for that, man. I'm so excited to ha- have you there because I-, I know that you're, you, you don't you don't speak for any, for any conference. So, you know, the fact that you got, you know, you are want to come and share value at ours, I'm very excited about that. Awesome, man. Yeah, I can't wait to meet everyone and see uh, see all your listeners. Very cool. So if you guys haven't bought your tickets yet for the Nomad Summit, it is February 4th here in Chiang Mai, Thailand. We're going to have a pre-event, networking event the day before, and then we're going to have a pool party the day after, so it's going to be all weekend. But the event itself is on Saturday, February 4th, and you can get tickets at nomadsummit.com. It's going to be an incredible event. If you want to see videos from the last two years, just go on YouTube. But trust me when I tell you this, it, there's going to be nothing like it. There's going to be hundreds. I I, I think we are, we are, we've already sold 150 tickets. You guys are going to sell out soon. I know we're going to sell out. So <laughs> we're going to have between three to 400 digital nomads from all around the world. We're going to have the best speakers that are handpicked. Wow. And it's going to be an epic event. So nomadsummit.com, get your tickets ASAP. Awesome. See you guys all next week and see you out here in Chiang Mai. See you, David. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, 
join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.